A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. After being burnt last time, I think, do we dare to hope, Liam, that this is a Conservative leader? They performed this sort of ultra-virtue signalling off the back of ordinary folk. It's completely wrong, Alison. It's completely morally indefensible. This is where a callous green agenda co-pilot has got our country, save the planet, freeze a pensioner. This is not a true Conservative government and they're being influenced very much by the environmental lobby. One. We have Welcome to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. Well, Alison, the road's been long and arduous. The public's patience has been tested to breaking point and possibly beyond. There have been hours, days, weeks when we thought it would never end. But that end, that seemingly elusive finale, is now coming into view. Because thankfully, mercifully, next Monday, this near two-month Tory leadership contest will finally be over and the inevitable winner will be crowned. It was the 7th of July when Boris Johnson resigned as Tory leader co-pilot and it will be the 5th of September when Queen Elizabeth, no, not that one, (laughs) is finally crowned. What a ridiculously damaging, ill-judged, politically tone-deaf and unwisely drawn-out spectacle it's been. During an eight-week period when the country's been crying out for action, initiative, leadership, the entire political and Mandarin class has been on an extended summer sabbatical draining even more of the public's increasingly shallow pool of trust. During this ridiculous hiatus, industrial relations have nosedived, the threat of a winter of discontent now a real possibility. Inflation spiralled as recession looms into view. And last Friday, the shocking but hardly surprising news a typical household utility bill will soar to over £3,500 in October, a threefold increase in less than a year. But we're not panicking, Alison! Here on Planet Normal, as the summer ends, the season turns and the nights draw in, we're keeping calm and carrying on while quietly stockpiling Vosine. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just begin by saying to the listener who wrote in objecting to the way I say hello at the top of the... (laughs) I saw that one. I just thought, not that you've made me self-conscious or anything... (laughs) I've been practising saying hello, hello, hello. I like your hellos. I thought my hello was okay, but now whoever it is, thank you very much. So another neuroses to add to the (laughs) battalion. We'll talk about Queen Elizabeth. We've just heard that the Queen will appoint the Prime Minister at Balmoral for the first time. So that's not sounding very good, Halligan. As someone who's going to be summoned to arms at the news of a royal death. Standards is slipping. Oh, God, no, but it's a sign, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's hope she's okay. Let's hope. Please, Your Majesty, if you could just keep going while we get through this cost of living crisis. I've got a starter for 10 for you, Halligan. Go on then. On the 30th of August 2022, that was Wednesday this week, how much wind was in Europe's electricity? 10%. Not bad. 8.7%. It's pretty low, isn't it? Yeah, it is pretty low. So we've got, obviously, new Prime Minister. We'll talk a bit about that. Liz Truss obviously facing, bless her, the entry from hell. But we have the departing Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. These are his last few days. Of course, he was pictured in a some form of vehicle, in a high-vis <laughs> jacket. I don't know about you, I feel it... What a disappointment it's been, Liam. Honestly, so much hope, so much expectation. Majority of 80 could have done so much with it. Never has so much goodwill been squandered so quickly. And in my column this week, you may have noticed I was, as usual, just a tad exercised because I think Boris is giving a farewell message tomorrow talking about safeguarding his legacy. Now, some of us may feel that Boris's main legacy will be 
wallpaper at 650 quid a roll in number 10. But he's going to insist that Britain must not give up on net zero in favour of short-term fixes to tackle this mundane cost-of-living crisis. And apparently Boris thinks everything his government has done in renewable energy will make sure that in the medium and long term we'll be more self-reliant and that we'll ease cost for consumers. Now, co-pilot, I just couldn't believe the sheer out-of-touch obliviousness of the man. As we know, millions of people are scared, really cutting back now as their direct debits go through the roof. Thousands of businesses which cannot afford stratospheric electricity bills are about to be sacrificed on the altar of the green religion. And Boris's parting shot is not, ooh, sorry, I didn't start fracking earlier. Sorry, I was a bit too enthusiastic about windmills when we didn't have any viable alternatives. No, let's double down on the net zero, which has so reduced our energy security. And I think this is where a callous green agenda co-pilot has got our country, save the planet, freeze a pensioner. Your column this week, Alison, and the links in the show notes to this episode, I did actually find it really, really moving because you outlined that you feel, and I agree with you, that a lot of the green agenda has been promoted almost without a second thought for how ordinary people are going to cope with this. Oh, let's just phase out all petrol and diesel cars. (laughs) And if you're a builder who's just shelled out a second mortgage to buy yourself a new van, tough. But you and I both want to move away from fossil fuels. We both want less pollution. We both understand that we need to move towards renewable energy, but we don't want the general population to be hectored into doing so while being sent to the poorhouse. And you wrote a wonderful passage in your column about why you get that coal has to go when you talked about your grandfather and his resilience as a lad in the South Wales valleys, the community spirit that came during those coal communities, but ultimately how damaging it was to them. Yes. I mean, I get very emotional. This was a wonderful man, my grandfather. We called him Dat because in Welsh, grandfather's ducky. And like so many boys, Liam, of that generation in the 1920s, he went down the pit. He was 13 years old. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. Even before getting to the pit, he had to walk several miles across the fields, beautiful fields, by the way. And when I was a teenager, I used to talk to him about it. And of course, infuriatingly, because he was the most cheerful person you'd ever meet, he'd sort of, I'd say it must have been terrible. Oh, no, champion days, champion, Alison. You'd have loved him, Liam, and he'd have loved you. He had a tremendous spirit. But like so many, again, of his friends, he ended up with pneumoconiosis and eventually lung cancer, but because he was a fantastic singer. I mean, a truly amazing baritone. Competition winning. Competition winning. Went to the International Ice Board, won it wow. against all comers. And, you know, I only found this out recently. It was incredibly moving. A sort of third cousin said that the day after your grandfather won the International Ice Board, all the schools in the area got the day off. Can you imagine that? Of course, he never said that to me because that would have been boastful. But yeah, he did end up much longer because his lungs were, I suppose, much bigger than all the guys who died in their 50s and 60s from having gone down the mine. And he lived until he was 72. He always said to me, the Bible promises me three score years and 10. So he got that. And he got them. He got that and a bit extra. But when he was dying and very, very shrunken in this bed, this wonderful human being really shrunken to a husk. And I found in my grandparents' dresser a note from the coal board. Dad had obviously written to them, wondering if he could have some compensation. And someone had written the word, his name, Daniel Elvid, and next to it was fit for light work. So that was the world, Liam. That was the world. No compo for you because you can still make a living. You could still stand up, basically, mm. yeah. I think you should write more, Alison, about your dat because I think what you wrote, I found it extremely moving and I'm sure many other Telegraph readers did as well. And it really puts in context your thoughts and feelings about the current debate about energy and ordinary people trying desperately to make ends meet as these bills spiral. And I think there would be a wide audience for what you've got to say about how that generation coped and how this generation's trying to cope. And one thing I wanted to make clear today is the first planet normal since that incredible increase in the energy price cap above three and a half thousand pounds 
it was completely clear for a long time as I wrote in my column on Sunday, yes, you did. that it was going to be about £3,500 because it's based on wholesale prices on energy markets in the months beforehand. So this is not a surprise. The government didn't have to wait to announce how it's going to help people cope with these completely frightening increases for many, many people, many millions of households, not just the poor and more vulnerable households. In fact, they're the ones more likely to get help. It's people just above Mm. benefit levels who are going to get really hammered because they're less likely to get help from the state. So I'm really quite shocked and upset that despite this ongoing Tory leadership contest, the government could have done something. You know, Sunak, Mm. Truss, Johnson could get in a room Quateng, the people who are going to be big players in the next government, the people who are big players in the outgoing government, and just done a deal with Treasury Mandarins, with the relevant government departments. So there's something to say now because we've still got this weeks of hiatus before we actually find out what's going to happen. But the point I really wanted to make, and it's a point we've been making on Planet Normal a lot, and also I've been making it on my GB News on the Money show is that there is no price cap for firms. And the big firms, they can buy energy forward on on markets. They've got trading desks. They can negotiate with the energy suppliers because they're valued customers. But the small companies, the pubs, the laundrettes, the restaurants, Mm. they are getting absolutely hammered. I'm getting emails from companies. They're getting three, four, five, ten times bigger fuel bills this October compared to October last year. And there are going to be many business closures. And I don't hear anyone in the political and media class really focused on that. I agree, Liam. And we've been seeing, haven't we, more and more on the TV. There was a publican on the other night and he said it was really heartrending. He said they're trying to obviously cut down as much as they can. But he said, if you turn off too many lights, people won't even think you're open. I mean, I've also heard this week a horrible story actually from a friend where one of her elderly neighbours was sitting basically in the dark watching the telly and her house was broken into because the burglars didn't think anyone was in. I mean, this is what it's going to be like, people sitting in the dark. And this week we've got Boris, one of his futile farewell gestures, is finally, Liam, going to approve the size we'll see nuclear power station. We'll talk about too little too late. And just coming back to this business with the net zero, I was so struck this week by an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Let me just read a bit to listeners, which the Wall Street Journal said to its American readers, the underlying cause of Britain's energy misery is its fixation with climate goals, especially the ambition to achieve the net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. To meet that goal, Britain has grown hostile to domestic energy exploration banning shale gas fracking and slapping windfall tax profits on North Sea oil and gas production that will deter investment. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has hurt, but the UK's policies made its citizens vulnerable to global shock. We are being held up, Liam, as a cautionary tale. What do you think about that? I think there's a lot in that. And obviously, the Wall Street Journal is a very, very serious international business paper. Unlike some other US-based papers we could mention, it doesn't take pot shots at the UK just for the sake of it. It comes up with very measured, factually based opinion and commentary. And it does strike me that we've been overzealous about this, not to say that we're climate change deniers, (laughs) because, of course, that will be thrown at us. Not to say that we don't understand, you and I, Alison, that we need to move away from fossil fuels, but it does seem that our political class has been so determined to be holier than now as our leaders then go off and get international panjandrum jobs at various NGOs around the world to feel really, really good about themselves. And they've performed this sort of ultra-virtue signalling off the back of ordinary folk. It's completely wrong, Alison. It's completely morally indefensible. Absolutely. Not to subsidise renewable energy. There's a very respectable argument for subsidising renewable energy for a while, but it's completely immoral to try and hide those subsidies, as we've done, on ordinary people's fuel bills because the poor pay relatively more for their fuel. It's a bigger share of their income. If you're going to subsidise renewables, doing it a transparent way through general taxation. That's more progressive. It's subject to much, much more debate. So 
it strikes me that we will see a bit of a reversion from you know worshipping at the altar of Greta, as it were. I do think people will look back and think it's complete mania that whenever a kid stands up and talks about the environment as she did, you had the world's leaders simpering, <laughs> yes. hanging on her every word. She's not a scientist. It became a bit of a fixation. And I think a lot of ordinary people looked on with complete disdain and even contempt for what was happening because they could see that the bills were going to fall largely in their laps. So, yes, I do want to see us continuing the drive towards renewable energy. I've written a great deal about the merits of hydrogen as an energy source. I personally think electric vehicles are a blind alley. And if anybody wants to read my stuff on that, it's all in my previous Telegraph columns. I'm not saying that we don't do this, but we have to be smarter about how we do it. We have to take the country with us. There needs to be a lot more hard-headed analysis and a lot less emotion in this debate, particularly now that the rubber is hitting the road. And we can start by doing what the Germans have done and suspending those renewable subsidies on electricity bills. And I'm glad to say she hasn't said much about this. She said far too little about what she's going to do. But I'm glad to say that Liz Truss has at least taken our advice and pledged to do that. After being burnt last time, I think, do we dare to hope, Liam, that this is a conservative leader who'll do conservative things? I mean, one of the statistics this week that jumped out at me from a poll was a quarter of adults plan not to turn the heating on at all this winter. I mean, you know, I live with a draconian, put three jumpers on, and why aren't you wearing socks kind of husband, (laughs) you know, but even the great Anthony would draw the line at actually not turning the heating on. So Truss has actually, hasn't she, there are rumours about Kwasi Kwarteng and Jacob Rees-Mogg going to the oil and gas producers in the North Sea and telling them to crack on. So maybe, as you say, we are seeing some rewinding from this ludicrous purist position. I share your anger, Liam. I'm just fed up with these people subsidising their posh mates with their landowning mates. God knows how many billions have we thrown at these renewables when they're just picking up so little of the energy we need. Our energy security is in tatters. You know me, I'm delighted always when I find a new fact. So that our gas storage facility, which was discontinued in rough off the northeast coast and the sea in 2017, now they are hooray. I think they've just given them permission to revive this gas storage facility. And I read, Liam, it's going to cost over a billion pounds to bring it back on. I mean, a mere bagatelle compared to what we're spending on everything else. And Alison, even if you fill rough up and it will be 80% of our gas storage if we get it back, it only gives you two weeks supply, which is tiny compared to the kind of gas storage that the Spaniards have got, the Dutch have got, in particular, the Germans have got. I wanted to ask you though, Liam, so from Monday, we think it will almost certainly be Prime Minister Trust. We can talk more, obviously, about the shape of the cabinet. We think Kwasi Kwarteng for Chancellor, Suella Braverman, currently Attorney General, will be in the mix. Might she give her Home Secretary? Kemi Badenoch obviously did fantastically well in the leadership contest. Could she be going to education? Home Secretary probably would be a bit of a stretch. Penny Mordaunt, party chairman or something else. Ben Wallace will stay at defence, I think. Now, Liam, I really wanted to ask you, so some of the things we've heard Trust might be doing, cancelling that rise in national insurance, cancelling the corporation tax rise, which you fulminated against, and even talk of a 5% cut in VAT. I want to ask you, how will this be funded and which would be your preference, do you think, of, of the different measures she can pull in to help people? Well, it strikes me that she's going to have to move quite fast. But on the other hand, she's also going to have to reassure a lot of people, not least the financial markets. I mean, sterling is now, as some of us predicted would happen, well below $1.20. It's $1.16. And there's increasing signs that the markets are demanding more and more higher levels of interest, completely aside from what the Bank of England says and does, in order to lend the British government money. So she can't just be completely scattergun and throw money about like confetti. There will be a really big debate about whether or not tax cuts do actually lead to more revenue or less revenue. And Liz Truss will have lined up against her the full gamut of the kind of establishment 
economic intelligentsia like the IFS and a lot of treasury mandarins briefing off the record and a lot of academic economists who will say that she just can't afford to do these tax cuts. In the other corner, there'll be people like Patrick Minford, like potentially my co-author, Jared Lyons, saying no business economists, you know, economists involved in finance and trading rather than academic sort of pencil-sucking economists, if you like, who will say, no, we can do these tax cuts. The so-called Laffer curve does work. The idea that if you lower tax rates and boost growth, you get more revenue from a lower tax rate. But it is going to be very difficult for her. I think it's nailed on that she will scrap those renewable subsidies on our energy bills. I think it's nailed on that she's going to scrap VAT on fuel bills too. Even Rishi Sunak said that should happen, bowing to pressure. And I think it's nailed on that she's cancelling the rising corporation tax from 19 to 25%, which was going to come in, Sunak announced when he was Chancellor in the spring of 2023. So I think all things are there. What she's floated recently is an across-the-board 5% cut in VAT from 20 to 15%. I don't think she's going to go through with that, at least for a while. I think she's going to have to wait for financial markets to settle because, believe you me, Alison, and we've discussed it a lot, I genuinely believe this autumn a lot of powerful vested interests are really going to test out Liz Truss, an incoming new Conservative Prime Minister. I'm talking about the public sector unions. I'm talking about a lot of the private sector unions as well who are going to try and put pressure on the Prime Minister. We've both said on the record it is a poison chalice for her. Mm. There could be a vote of no confidence even in the House of Commons this autumn. She could be gone by Christmas. Who knows? So it is a very difficult time for her. I must say, though, I noted that, yes, the House returns on the 5th of September, the House of Commons, but then they rise again on September the 22nd. (laughs) They're only there for less than three weeks before they get another month off. I think this party conference season, with the emphasis on party, is unbelievable. (laughs) I think this year they should suspend the party conferences, there is a national emergency. The idea of more footage of Michael Gove at a disco, (laughs) it's absolutely (laughs) dreadful. Yes, it's horrendous. You're already seeing about Liz Truss, is this the worst prime minister ever before the woman's even sort of stood on the steps of number 10? If I had any advice for her, Liam, I'd say level with the people. Go over the heads of the media. That's what Tony Blair did so successfully. Yeah, he did. The media, particularly the broadcast media, is massively biased against the Conservative Party. It's going to have a field day with Liz Truss, isn't it? They hated Boris with a passion. I would go over the heads of all these people, give a party political broadcast from Downing Street. I'd say... I'm not going to lie to you. Things are really tough. I'd really like us all to pull together. I'm going to work my socks off. We're going to try and get out of this together and just be completely honest that it has to be a great national effort and be really upfront. Boris has been evasive, still throwing people these bones and running away like some sort of mad old English sheepdog. We actually need a realist. And I think if she does that, if she levels with people, asks for people's help, then at least she'll get off to a reasonable start. But just quickly coming back to that point you made about what she's going to do, we talked about this, didn't we, that Starmer's had a rather attractive policy, which isn't means tested, which is capping everybody's energy bill at the price it was now or before this latest cap. I think that was quite a shrewd move. Will she see him and raise him, as it were? It's incredibly expensive to put an across-the-board cap on because, of course, the energy suppliers, the customer-facing energy companies that sell you the stuff, not the people who get it out the ground, They have to buy the wholesale energy at these elevated costs, and they're only allowed to pass on that wholesale energy within the boundaries of that price cap. So they'll all instantly go out of business unless they are subsidised. The other thing you could do is to subsidise the consumers. Subsidising the consumers means that it's very hard to direct that subsidy and target that subsidy because there'll always be hard cases on the cusp, as we mentioned earlier, people just outside the benefit threshold. But if you subsidise the companies, you've then got to get the government basically running those companies for the next three or four years as the subsidies are worked off in some way and ultimately passed on. So it's a very, very difficult policy. The idea, oh, let's just have a price cap. Let's just tell the market to go away. It's, sort of, it's student politics. 
to implement that price cap is an extremely technical, difficult thing to do. And I suspect what will happen is that Truss and her team, and they must be talking about it. The point is they should be talking about it publicly by now because there's lots of angst out there. I think they will go for targeted help for consumers, maybe using council tax bans as a mechanism for targeting, using receipts of other benefits, which in fairness Sunak did back in March and then again in May when he announced packages. Those packages, the, the price cap was much, much lower. So Rishi was going to give £400 to every household this autumn. That wasn't means tested. Do you think that she might row back on that and make it a more targeted benefit? I don't think she'll do that. I think she'll go ahead with that £400 for every household. But I do think the amount for households either on benefits, as I've said, or in lower value council tax thresholds or people in social housing slash council housing, I think they will get much, much more help than they currently are. But there will be, as I said, many, many people who are in that just about managing uh, part of society, you know, on 35, 40, 45 grand household income, who would ordinarily feel of themselves as pretty well off, pretty comfortably off, not doing too badly. They're the people who are really going to suffer. And I think in general, we're just all going to have to hunker down. Even much better off families, you know, no skiing at half term, turn that central heating off. We sound like old codgers, but the first time I ever had central heating was when I went to university. So did you have open fires? Yeah, we had an open fire in our house and we just didn't have central heating. Mm. We just didn't have central heating. I mean, are today's people as resilient as people were in the 70s, the 50s, or dare I say your dear old dad? I suspect not, but I just think we're going to have to learn how to cope. Before we move on, just drawing attention, I think, to this feeling of a leadership vacuum that the whole world feels it's experiencing now. Gorbachev died this week. I know you met him. I think there was just such an immense feeling of goodwill towards him. And of course, remembering the remarkable triumvirate Reagan, Gorbachev and Mrs. Thatcher, and also, of course, Helmut Kohl of that era. I mean, they look like titans now, don't they, compared to what we have today? I should say we sometimes knock the BBC, don't we, Alison? I think deservedly so. But there's a really excellent BBC documentary about Reagan and Thatcher and Gorbachev. It really is an astonishing piece of work. For me, it's the kind of thing the licence fee funded broadcaster should be doing. That's well worth watching on the iPlayer. I, I, I give that plug to the BBC freely and gladly. I would say I was a correspondent in Russia for many years. I did meet Gorbachev a couple of times. He was an astonishing person, a proper mould breaker. The thing that is worth saying is that he's revered a lot more outside of Russia than he is inside Russia. I do think there's ambivalence towards him in Russia itself. I do think there's a sense of loss for a lot of people, certainly of our age and a little bit older, that the Soviet Union collapsed because it was connected with their youth. But I do think it's worth saying he was a man of peace. And if anybody really wants to understand more about Gorbachev, just seek out Werner Herzog's absolutely superb documentary where he interviews Gorbachev over an extended period with some really astonishing archive. It is superb journalism and a real insight into the mind of an incredible man. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, but my pals call me Chopper, and you can too. Just dropping into my second favourite podcast to tell you about another Telegraph show, mine, As a Telegraph's chief political correspondent, I spend my days holding politicians to account and asking them about the things that affect you. I speak to top politicians from across the political spectrum, commentators with their finger on the pulse, and of course, my talented colleagues at The Telegraph. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, please search Chopper's Politics, wherever you're listening to this. Cheerio! Climbing aboard the Planet Normal rocket this week, Alison, it's Howard Cox, co-founder of the pressure group Fair Fuel UK. Launched in 2011, Fair Fuel campaigns to reduce charges on petrol and diesel vehicles, most notably fuel duty. And over the years, through lobbying and advocacy, Fair Fuel says it saved drivers billions of pounds in planned hikes, in fuel duty and VAT through what it calls constructive and objective campaigning. 
A proud grammar school boy, Howard Cox is a highly trained scientist, and he enjoyed a successful scientific and marketing career before, in his words, coming out of retirement to set up Fairfuel as the real independent not-for-profit voice in Westminster, he says, for 37 million UK drivers who want clean air too, but want this accomplished without being demonised, blamed and continually treated as easy cash cows. I started by asking Howard Cox what he thought about the current fuel crisis. Well, I personally think it's a lot worse and we haven't seen the worst of it yet. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I, I talk to loads of people in small businesses and obviously consumers of people who drive cars and in the haulage industry particularly, and they are worried sick what's coming up in the next three to six months. No one really knows what's going to happen. And unless the government get hold of this quickly and do something quickly, I'm afraid the level of that pain, they've got to control to some extent and alleviate it with a paracetamol rather than morphine. Do you genuinely think there could be power cuts this autumn and winter that the situation could get bad enough on wholesale energy markets that there's just not enough energy? Well, I don't think so, but I do believe that there'll be a lot of power cuts in people's houses simply because they can't afford to switch on the electricity and the gas, etc. They'll be cutting back. And there'll be a lot of rooms that are going to be in the dark and they'll be living out of one room. As far as the supply is concerned, I think the next prime minister, their first job is to go out and talk to these major suppliers and say, can you make sure that you keep the UK lit up and heated? Now, you very much focus on petrol and diesel, so fuel for cars. You're funded by the Road Haulage Association. That's your expertise. And in particular, Howard, you've made your name by being very good at explaining clearly the relationship between the oil price, the basis of petrol and diesel, and the price that we pay on the forecourts, the link between the two, or should we say in some senses, the lack of a link? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true, Liam. You've got it spot on. I've been doing this now for 13 years, since 2010, when Cameron got elected. And one of the things I found at that point in 2010, I was working for a small haulage company in terms of doing some consultancy work for them. I was looking at their spreadsheets and I was looking at their profit and loss and their balance sheets. And there was a particular line that just stood out a mile, the cost of fuel. And I thought, why is this? And it was at that point, it was about 30 to 35% of this haulage company had about 50 trucks. And that's a lot of money. And of that 30%, 70% went to the government in tax. I said, this can't be right. So I started investigating around the world. And then it hit home that UK drivers are the highest tax drivers in the world. I'm afraid we still are. I suppose you could say, I just said, I've got to do something about this. And we set up Fairfuel UK with the RHA backing it and the Freight Transport Association. And they're the Logistics UK, they're called now. And we managed to get the RAC on board as well. At the time, if you remember, Liam, there was a fuel price escalator planned, whereby what happened is fuel duty would go up by inflation plus two or three pence each budget or each spring statement event and there was a kind of an environmental wrapping put around that quite painful policy at the time even then wasn't there Absolutely right. That's what's the start of the green. You know, the special advisors were coming in all over the place on Whitehall saying we've got to look good. So what happened is we managed to convince at the time it was George Osborne not to put that escalator in place. And in fact, he cut in the first budget in March 2011 of our campaigning time. He actually cut it by a penny. And to be fair to him, you know, that was a quite a good cut at the time. And considering it was going to go up about four to five P, it was about a net reduction of about six P of pain relieved and good on him. And since that point all the way till now we've had a freezing duty and we had that 5p cut in march of this year the spring statement which of course as you know it didn't touch the sides so how does the amount of tax we pay when we fill up our cars and vans howard compare here in the uk to other countries well, we're looking at around about half of what we put into our cars and vans and trucks is tax. It's still going to the government. And we mustn't forget that some of that's VAT. And VAT is on the fuel duty as well, which really, really angers most drivers. We think a double taxation. But compared to the rest of the world, we are around about the second to the third highest tax drivers in the world on average. Diesel being the highest, we are number one in terms of the top of the time. That's about 200 countries. And recently, the Germans have actually cut fuel duty by 25p because they recognise that the cost of fuel impacts on inflation. And Rishi Sunak is shouting from rooftops to saying that inflation is the biggest enemy. And yet he's not calling for a massive cut in fuel duty, which would help everyone, even people that don't drive, because everything in our studios and our offices and our homes arrived on a truck. If we cut 
fuel duty, it will impact and reduce inflation considerably. It happened in Germany, 25p cut in fuel duty, and their inflation dropped by half a percent almost immediately. And it's weird because in Germany, the Greens are actually in power, aren't they? They're part of the coalition government and they're doing that kind of a policy, whereas here they're not. They're politically pretty weak. And yet we're not doing that fuel duty cut comparable to the Germans. That's absolutely right. And and it's happened in France. It's happened in Italy. It's happened in Spain. It's happened in Ireland, where there's probably more green influence in terms of actual political influence than we have over here. But let's not forget this government under the Conservatives. And I'm going back to when they were elected in 2019. I was asked to write an article for a national newspaper, which particular party, Labour or the Tories, would be best for drivers in this country. And I said immediately, it's going to be the Conservatives are going to be good for it. But since 2019, there's been so many anti-driver policies, not just in in terms of being the highest taxed in the world, but things like ULEs, ultra low emission zones, bicycle lanes, which are causing congestion because they're eating into existing roads. We can go on forever. This is not a true conservative government and they're being influenced very much by the environmental lobby. As recently as June, the oil price was up above $120. It's now, you know, spent quite a few weeks below $100 a barrel. So that's a 20, 25% drop in the oil price. To what extent... Is that being passed on by the petrol and diesel companies when we fill up our cars and vans? Well, you picked June the 1st and I've got some figures that I refer to on a daily basis. And petrol has come down by around about three pence since that time. And yet the wholesale price has come down 34 pence. So we're looking at something like 30 pence has not been passed on to drivers. And this is the other issue in this, this opportunistic profiteering that's going on in the fuel supply chain. And it's very much further up in the fuel supply. We've we've seen the incredible profits being made by BP and Shell recently. And I'm a one nation Tory. I'm a capitalist. I believe in the free market. But there is definitely opportunistic profiteering going on here. And I even call it racketeering. And the government must get on top of this. And that's why I'm still calling for that body, which is a consumer price regulatory body we call pump watch how do they get away with it howard i mean it's so obvious you know you just said there a massive percentage drop in the oil price a tiny percentage drop in the petrol price how can that be allowed well this is the point and i've been talking to backbench mps and i work very closely with people like craig mckinley mp and robert halfen mp the mp for harlow and robert has been mr fairfield uk since 2010 and he's been incredibly supportive and he's been instrumental with fairfield uk in getting this freezing duty we've had in the last decade but we have been calling for pump watch for a long long time we want everyone to make a decent profit and let's not blame those forecourts most of the independent especially the small ones don't make big margins they're on three to five p per litre the big margins have been made by the distributors and wholesalers and right up at the refinery level where it's not being passed on even to the wholesalers properly and someone's got to get on top of this i've spoken to liz truss i've spoken to rishi sunak and they're sympathetic to this idea but again they're nervous of intervention into markets I mean, you spoke to Lord Frost this week, didn't you, just before talking to me? He's somebody who's obviously tipped for government as and when Liz Truss takes office. Given what you've just said about the big oil companies, not the independent petrol retailers, but the big oil companies, do you then agree, Howard, despite your free market credentials, with a windfall tax on those companies? Well, I reluctantly agree to the last one. I mean, Robert Halfman agrees there should be an even bigger one. If we can get transparent pricing and honest pricing at the pumps, we won't need to do with full taxes onto these big oil companies. But if they continue to do this in exploiting, and let's face it, they're exploiting a lucky increase in the oil price, even though it's come down to $100. But they've been enjoying this incredible volatility because of the geopolitical events that's been happening across Europe. That It's nothing to do with their incredible skill or their business acumen. They've benefited on an essential resource in the monopoly situation completely luckily it's fallen into their laps this huge amount of cash and profit they've made and they've exploited particularly drivers and unfortunately a lot of these suppliers further up in supply chains are actually exploiting all of us at all levels and that's gas electricity petrol and diesel it's worth spelling out isn't it for planet normal listeners that you've got you know the upstream oil companies that get the stuff out the ground their costs of extraction haven't really changed very much but the price they get has gone to the moon because not least the russia ukraine conflict and so on but then there's also the energy providers the customer facing companies that are on the top of our utility bills they're buying energy that's much more expensive on international markets and they can't sell it very expensively because of the price cap, even though the price cap has gone up 
a great deal. That's why you've got so many actual energy providers going bust. So we've got to distinguish, haven't we, Howard, between the energy providers that face customers, the downstream companies, and the big upstream oil and gas companies that actually extract the stuff out the ground who are making massive profits. You're absolutely right to make that distinction. But the point I'm trying to make is that Mr. and Mrs. Joe Bloggs and Mr. Plummer, you know, going down trying to get a, a quote for his next job, but he can't afford to actually go and visit them. Everything's stacked up against consumers at the moment. And what we need to see is some real proper action and solutions. You've got quite a lot of backing from MPs as well, Howard, haven't you? Tell us about your campaign, the number of MPs you've got on side and the strength of feeling among parliamentarians about this, given how often it will come up at their constituency surgeries? Well, we've hovered around about 130 to 140 MPs from across all parties, mainly backbench Tories, but there's quite a few in Labour Party and certainly a lot of the SNP as well. Very few Lib Dems anymore. I'm afraid they still, they hate fossil fuels, full stop, unfortunately. But we've got about 30 or 40 that regularly back us and come out and support us. And when I met with Lord Frost this week and he did a 10, 15 minute inspirational speech about Liz Truss and why she should be Prime Minister, I asked him a question about, you know, why isn't she cut fuel duty or recommending cutting? fuel duty and he answered very nicely he said i think you'd be surprised what she's going to do howard for the drivers and he walked up to me shook my hand and said you've got a hell of a reputation howard and keep working with us and keep campaigning so you've got a fifth of mps publicly backing your campaign howard you're accessing the inner circle of the person who's going to be the next prime minister of the uk without you know counting your chickens politics is a fickle business but what are you expecting to happen now howard well, they've got no choice. We've got to actually have a full-blown budget saying that where they can cut inflation immediately. And that means cutting fuel duty, cutting green levies and cutting a VAT of a fuel duty as well. The combination of that would bring the prices at the pumps down by about 30 to 35 pence. That would be a massive because the average car, if you think it's 55 litres, you're looking at about 18 pounds, nearly 20 pounds saving. And imagine what a family can do with that £20. They can put more food on the table. And that's what's been happening with the high cost of fuel. Keeps the economy moving, doesn't it? Well, the high street is suffering because people's driving behaviours change massively. They're going out once a month to the supermarket and once every fortnight that they used to do. Those are the sorts of things that are changing. And really bad as well is we're seeing this social impact as well, where people can't even afford to fill their cars up to get to hospital appointments. I'm getting hundreds of people like that who are contacting me saying, I can't afford to do it. I've had to change my appointment cycle to every three months as opposed to every month. That can't be right. Let's talk about the real politique of this you know, legal ban on new petrol and diesel cars in the UK that's meant to be coming in by 2030. I mean, is that really going to happen when the EV electric vehicle charging infrastructure is still as it is, when it's gradually dawning on everybody that this battery technology is very problematic, that the batteries are heavy, that they rely on you know, lithium and other rare minerals, so-called rare earths from China, the Central African Republic? Doesn't this ban on new petrol and diesel cars just make us as dependent on overseas powers as our reliance on fossil fuels? The simple fact is we weren't consulted. Back in 2019, when I recommended Tory parties as the party for drivers, we didn't know. It only happened about, I think, about 10 months later. Suddenly there was this policy which was, went through Parliament very quickly. I don't think it's even actually cast in law yet, but it's been passed through to say that the 2030 ban, it was brought forward from about 2040, then it was 2035. All sales of new diesel and petrol cars will be put in place. Again, bringing Lord Frost back into it, I asked him that question and he's very keen to overturn that. So hopefully we might get a moratorium on it and certainly a discussion on it. I have commissioned a report with the Motorcycle Action Group and also the Alliance of British drivers to actually truly measure or the impact of the cost of that ban in 2030 on Mr and Mrs blogs and small businesses. Just finally Howard you are going to be very much on our airwaves and in our newspapers in the weeks and months to come as this debate about how we use energy and how we deal with spiralling energy costs. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this? What is it about you and your background that's turned you into this pretty effective campaigner, I must say? <laughs> 
Well, it's very kind of you to say that. For most of my life, I'm a scientist by training, so I'm into data information. I'm a pharmacologist, which is a drug scientist. I set up my own business, which is about database publishing, which effectively was collecting data in the pharmaceutical world, collating it and putting it in such a way in a relational database that you could search on particular parameters. We call them search engines now. You're a proper geek. (laughs) The geeks are the highest life form on Planet Normal, after Alison and I, of course. (laughs) I know my place. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I got involved with that and then I actually sold a business and I retired when I was 40 it was quite nice so and that's when I went into small business consultancy and I, I advised lots of companies everything you know all sorts of people one man bands and anyone turning over 70,000 to about 30 million that sort of level and that's how I came across the haulage industry and back in 2010 I just saw this line with amount of money that I mean and we're looking now on 2022 we're looking at 50% of cost for hauliers and there's going to be businesses hauliers going bust unless we actually recognize this and they're struggling and the good thing about it is i get a lot of thank you emails for keeping them viable in the last 10 12 years and bear in mind if we had that fuel price escalator and the tories had no plans to not actually implement it it was our campaigning that stopped it with robert halfen if that had been in place now we'd be looking at pump prices around three pounds and obviously your focus is petrol and diesel but there's a lot of businesses that are going to really suffer I'm just amazed that there's not more media focus on the fact that there is no off-gem energy price cap for firms, particularly small firms. You've got pubs and restaurants that are facing four, five, tenfold increases in their energy bills. There's going to be a lot of casualties. Yeah, and it's more ways than that. It's going to be a, unemployment's going to rocket with people falling out of this. I was speaking to one pub owner only the other day, and he said he's actually going to get rid of two staff so he can pay his electricity and gas bill, and the others will have to work extra time at no extra pay. That's the sort of decisions that people are going to be making out there. The logistics areas and businesses like that particularly in an internet economy where more people who can't afford to go out are going to spend more money online shopping so there's going to be more white van man type delivery who are working on a gig economy type approach very small margins they are and they're going to be really suffering too and you know that some of these gig drivers they do 100 drops in a day and they only make about five a, a profit this is the sort of thing we're into when Liz Truss or Rishi gets in we need to revisit the whole aspect of the way we operate in terms of taxation and that's why I'm, I believe that the fuel duty cut is the first stage they can do immediately will really impact on the economy and will impact on inflation everyone agrees with that all MPs agree with it the only ones that don't agree with it are the people that hate fossil fuels well Howard as and when this big debate on taxation does happen I know you'll be there terrier like making your views clear Howard Cox thanks a lot for appearing on Planet Normal Hooray for Howard Cox. Every word, Liam, every single word. Has Howard been drilling into your co-pilot's brain? I mean, didn't he speak brilliantly about it, demanding transparent pricing, reflecting the disappointment that so many of us feel, having recommended in 2019 that drivers should vote for the Conservatives and then only to discover so many anti-driver policies, absolutely ludicrous commitments to banning petrol and diesel vehicles, never going to happen, absolutely unfeasible. Hugely encouraging to hear that Lord Frost, our planet normal fan, might be overturning some of these things. And something that I've been thinking for a long time, Liam, we have talked about it on Planet Normal, is that, do you remember when Rishi threw motorists about 5p? He threw the petrol retailers 5p, about 1p of which was passed on to us. Absolutely. But then I found out that the Treasury has been absolutely coining it, hasn't it, from this VAT on fuel, hundreds of millions of pounds, which, as Howard articulated so beautifully, producers, they haven't done anything to deserve this massive windfall, have they? I mean, they've just been lucky and in the right place at the right time while the world's going to hell in a handcart. So I thought everything he said, absolutely right, shocking abuse of the consumer, terrible abuse of the trust of conservative voters. I mean, really, really now need to cut that VAT on fuel duty. I love it when you speak economics, Alison. (laughs) I'm going to do a bit of a handbrake turn here because Planet Normal, we are a very culturally astute place, aren't we? And I don't want errors in your columns to go uncorrected because you refer to a form of 1950s (laughs) shampoo as dream, as in a Midsummer Night's Dream, but it's not. It's called Dream. Yeah. And you said to me, 
Dreen, what's that, Dreen? And so I quoted you a poem by John Betjeman. I'm just going to read it now. This is Middlesex, right? I grew up in Middlesex, very unfashionable London suburb. And John Betjeman in 1954 wrote a series of three poems about Metroland, northwest London suburbs called the Middlesex, Harren the Hill, the Baker Street Buffet. And in it, he mentions Dreen in Middlesex. And this is the first two verses of Middlesex. Here we go. Gaily into Ryslip Gardens runs the red electric train with a thousand Tarzan pardons. Daintily alights Elaine. Hurries down the concrete station with a frown of concentration out into the outskirts edges where a few surviving hedges keep alive our lost Elysium. Rural Middlesex again. World Cup wins more, those lovely old coats. World Cup wins more, flapping lightly. Jack Ma's scarf of mauve and green. Hiding hair which Friday nightly, here it comes. Friday nightly, delicately drowns in dream. Hooray! Mm, Fair Elaine, the Bobby Soxer, fresh complexion with Inoxa. Gains the garden, father's hobby, hangs her Winsmore in the lobby, settles down to sandwich supper and the television screen. John Betjeman, Middlesex, 1954. Isn't that lovely? I love that Friday nightly. He was a genius. He was sniffed at by the establishment, but he was absolutely the poet laureate. He had a kind of soft spot for the suburbs and the strivers and the kind of lower middle class grammar school boys and girls who were, you know, not always the toast of the establishment back in those days. But you're absolutely right. Friday nightly delicately drowns in dream. So there you go, Alison. I just wanted to mark your card. Now it's on to our listener emails. So many this week, Halligan. And the ladies have done their stuff, having me putting out an APB for female Planet Normal listeners. Uh, lot- That's a Hawaii Five-O. Book him, Dano. We're going to do an APB. Book him, Dano, APB. A lot of fulminating against our departing Prime Minister. Helen says, the legacy Boris will have is that of being the man who had the mandate to make life better for everyone in this country and completely blew it. If he just told everyone he had to concentrate on getting Brexit done and sensibly dealing with COVID, everyone would have backed him. Instead, he ripped up the manifesto and followed the crackpot agenda of his latest squeeze. And A. Haynes says... Humility is an alien word for Mr Johnson. He panicked two years ago and dragged the country into the unholy mess it's in now. But he'll never admit it. I've never been so angry with the Prime Minister. I'm never so pleased to see the back of him and his meddling misses. And finally, Barb says, net zero. This was arguably the biggest of all the big calls and he got it catastrophically wrong. Life, if we don't freeze to death, will be utterly miserable. Thanks, Boris. Goodbye and good riddance. Here's a very interesting one from Charlotte, not her real name. Dear Alison and Liam, I've recently started working as a consultant helping new medical technologies get to market. So she knows what she's doing. I've been struck by how every grant application to fund early stage initiatives has a diversity and inclusion section as well as a net zero section. There are academic health and science networks, many of whom benefit from these grants as they work in collaboration with these early stage companies who all have directors of net zero. At a time when the NHS is in crisis, with many examples highlighted on Planet Normal, I really think the government needs to remove all this eco-ideology from health innovation and just support innovations in healthcare that are primarily focused on improving healthcare. The most socially disadvantaged are best served by improved medical innovations as they suffer the worst health outcomes. So why continue to have diversity and inclusion in the evaluation criteria? Better healthcare improves outcomes for the most excluded anyway. This perverse ideology is having a real impact on the type of innovation that gets funded and I fear will result in innovations that could really transform healthcare being overlooked if they do not help to achieve net zero. What a valuable email. So interesting, isn't it, to find out about these kind of things that are actually having a huge impact. Here are two responses to my Net Zero column from readers and one replied to the other. Maxwell first. 
I've always wondered by what peculiar logic it is that we banned extraction of our own gas, then had to import the exact same amount of gas at vast expense from halfway across the world, no doubt creating vastly more CO2 in the process, not remotely green or even remotely sane. And Dee's story replied to Maxwell, it's all about carbon trading, he said. Carbon trading is a very lucrative market. Factory emits X amount of CO2 while manufacturing its products. Factory buys X carbon credits to offset this. Factory can now say it is net zero for CO2 output while continuing as before. Meanwhile, the likes of Al Gore are happily banking the proceeds of the sale. Your co-pilot's too naive about the world, Liam. It stinks, doesn't it? You want to hang around with me a bit more? (laughs) <laughs> this is from Bob, and I'm reading this out because Planet Normal's a broad church. We get many emails from listeners who regret the fact that homes are built near them, who don't want more house building, who want all aspects of the green belt preserved forever. But a lot of our readers don't think that. And this is Bob. We listen to Planet Normal weekly, says Bob, normally at dinner time on Thursdays. A meal, a glass of wine or two, and Planet Normal. What could be better? What could be better at Bob indeed? House building, or the lack of it, came up the other week, and that persuaded me to revisit the subject. For some years now, I've felt we're missing a house building opportunity by concentrating on volume house builders and protecting every scrap of the countryside from any development at all. There are thousands of small-scale sites in the countryside and in the green belts which could be developed with no harm done. Instead, in pursuit of the great green god, we ban any building outside towns or which is not stuck on the side of an existing town. I wrote to the relevant minister on the subject back in 2019 and received a typical civil servant's reply telling me what government policy was. I could have screamed or sworn because after 50 years as a town planner and still going strong, I know what government policy is and I know how local authorities and the planning system are frustrating it. That's Bob and that's his view. Well, I know Bob listens with his wife, listening normally over a glass of wine or two. So hello, Bob and Mrs. Bob from both Liam and I. And this one, finally, Alison, is from Andrew. Hi, Liam and Alison. Still loving the show. It keeps us both sane. We save it for when we're in the car so we can nod in agreement together. <laughs> I've written to you before about the issues facing our business and they're not getting any easier. MPs don't seem to understand running a business, unlike you, who are talking about the issues that will face small and medium-sized businesses with increased fuel bills. In simple terms, We're a successful 20-year firm employing almost 100 local people in childcare. Our wage bill is almost 50% of our turnover, but minimum wage has gone up over 9%. So to keep the same differentiation through the business, all of our employees have received the same. Any increase to staff will probably all just go towards paying their increased fuel bills, though. I love how the government takes credit for raising wages when actually it's the small business that's paying the rise. We've had to increase our fees more than we've ever done just over 6%, which is actually the minimum that we could have done. What happens next, says Andrew, is difficult to predict. Keep up the good work. AP for PM and LH for Chancellor. (laughs) I'd become like a brooding brown, wouldn't I? When are you going to resign, Alison? When are you going to resign? (laughs) I think living next to you, you next to what number 11 would be so good. And you'd be a brilliant Chancellor. You absolutely would. If only, Halligan, if only. Let's see what Quasi comes up with. So that's it from Planet Normal for another week as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our flying refuge of reasoned views. Email of the week, it's your turn, Alison. Do you know what? I'm going to completely go off piece this week. We're going to give one to Bob because he and Mrs. Bob will be raising a glass of wine to us and one to Charlotte who shone a little bit of a light on what it's like navigating all those net zero rules. So two mugs this week. God, it's mug inflation. So if Bob who <laughs> talked about planning and Charlotte, not her real name, who talked about new medical technologies could email us with mug winner in the subject heading at Planet Normal at telegraph.co.uk with their postal address. They will soon get their mug once the postal strike is over. And before we go, a little bit of light and joy to look forward to. You're going to laugh about this, Halligan. It is the 20th anniversary this year of the publication of my first novel. I don't know how she does it. A comic masterpiece or get back in the kitchen women, according to taste. Otherwise known as, did she really write it? (laughs) 
Why did she write it? I don't know why she wrote it. Anyway, uh, sold four million copies, Halligan, so somebody must have liked it. That's me told. That's you told. That's you told. How many books have you sold, Halligan? All those housing books. Write a comic masterpiece. But The Telegraph's putting on at the Carinthia Hotel in London a really nice afternoon. An afternoon with Alison Pearson. I mean, you, you've got... It's enough for you having a bloody hour of it, isn't it, really? But anyway, on Friday the 3rd... Thir- busy. You're not invited. I'm washing my hair in dreams. <laughs> An afternoon with Alison Pearson on Friday, the 30th of September, and I will be in conversation with one of Planet Normal's favourite people, Sue Cook. So if you'd like to come along, it should be lovely. Scones and jam and glass of fizz and a lot of laughter. So that will be in the show notes. And we should also mention, co-pilot, that there's going to be another Planet Normal live event. There is indeed, Alison. It's coming up in October and we'll have more details on that Planet Normal event, to which I am invited, I hope, very, very (laughs) soon. And as we speed away from our beloved Planet Normal and the madness of Planet Earth comes back into view, thanks as ever to our producers, Isabel Bouchard, Elliot Lampett and our editor, Zoe Hitch. Stay safe and in touch with us and with each other. And until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.